could do a dance or something. But you don't want to see me do that. Well, welcome today. I'd just like to welcome anybody who's watching this uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, this is the sermon part of our live worship service each week at City Temple. Uh, if you'd like to join us via Zoom, because we offer that as well, uh, you can contact us at uh, the ad email address you see on the screen, or you can just come and join us here at City Temple at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and uh, we worship God together. Well, if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to two places. First of all, to Isaiah chapter 49, because this is ancient words for a new day, as well as Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you speak to us through your word and the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory and honor of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would do that today. I pray, Lord God, that you make my voice strong and clear uh, for the sermon time and uh, keep my thoughts strong and clear as well, that I can bring your word to your people, to the glory of your son, Jesus. For we pray all this in his name. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 49, we look at just two verses there, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And then over to Luke. We'll read the words of Jesus here in Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 7. Jesus says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep Say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, and oh, by the way, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I've got some information for you that you may not be aware of. I, I heard this in a song uh, here recently, uh, and the information is Christians aren't cool. That's the name of a song by a young, young man named Paul Arend, A-R-E-N-D, Paul Arend. And I came across it actually a few months ago, and I've really enjoyed it. And I just want to read the first verse and the chorus to you here quickly. Uh, if I was really good and my voice was strong, maybe I'd sing it. But he's one of those really high-voiced guys, 
so I don't think I could do it justice. It says, newsflash, Christians aren't cool. If you think that I'm lying, then listen, this song is for you. I can say that because I've been one for a while. And trust me, the street cred I got is the lamest on file. If you want to be cool, well then go make a living in movies or marketing, cosmetic surgery, buy the best clothing and drive a car that makes you look so celebrity. Try Maserati. But trust me, you up on a platform on Sunday won't fill your deep need to be known as somebody. It's only a Band-Aid. And a Band-Aid is much better being a car or a watch or ripped off. Uh, the second is even better, but I'll let you look that up. But we have to face facts. Christianity has never been fashionable or acceptable. Even in the cultural, what we might consider the cultural heydays uh, of Christianity, say the 1950s. And a lot of times there's a lot of Americans that will look back longingly toward the 1950s and say, oh wow, you know how great it was to be a Christian back then and how strong the church was back then. But let me tell you, it's not true. Yeah, it was okay to be a member of a church, and it was culturally acceptable to do so, and in some places even culturally expected, but if you were too zealous, you would be put down because, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get full of yourself. Don't get too excited. You know, we're all Christians here. We don't need any radicals. We don't need any zealots. And, uh, and if people really tried to live and did discipleship, it really wasn't cool. It really wasn't acceptable. It wasn't fashionable at all. And over the years, and by the way, this has happened throughout the centuries. This is not something that's relatively new in the life of the church or in the life of Christians. Christians who have tried to make Christianity fashionable or cool or acceptable either fail miserably, kind of like an old guy trying to be young. I mean, come on, you, you, young, you youngsters. Youngsters, is anybody younger than me, by the way? You youngsters, don't you think it's really funny when somebody like me tries to act really hip, you know? Like, hey, babe, I'm cool. You know, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, one of the reasons why Karen makes me use wired things, like wires my guitar and puts me on a wired microphone, is so I don't start dancing during worship. Because it really doesn't look cool. And yet a lot of times, you know, Christians, they're trying to look cool, and even young people, and it, it just doesn't work. Or if they do end up looking kind of cool or fashionable, many times, if not almost all the time, they end up compromising their integrity or compromising their faith in Jesus Christ, capitulating to something that's going on in the world. often without realizing what's going on, which makes it even worse. You know, we have to live up and accept the, uh, the, the fact that true Christianity 
is always and has always been somewhat uncomfortable and even offensive. You know, it's offensive to people to say, hey, you can't fix your own life, you need Jesus. And by the way, Jesus had to die on a cross for you. That's offensive. It's offensive to say you're saved by grace, not by anything that you do. It's offensive to say you're not really good enough on your own, and you'll never be good enough. It's offensive to say, hey, you know, all that money you made working so hard, actually it amounts to zero, nothing, because you'll take none of it with you. You know, these kinds of things have never been acceptable in the history of Christianity, except for possibly slight pockets. And you know, one of the most offensive concepts in Christianity is the idea that as Christians, we are bond slaves. We are slaves, permanent slaves of God. Nobody likes to be a slave. But we're not just a slave. You know, in the Bible, when it says bond slave, you know what a, a bond slave was? A bond slave was a slave for life. It meant you'll never get rid of your servitude as long as you live. And yet time after time, the Bible refers to us as bond slaves. Even Jesus, in the passage we read today, calls his followers bond slaves. Now we clean it up a bit and we use the word servant. You know, because the word servant sounds a little bit better and it's an okay word to use. It's an okay word to use. But it sounds especially better in the wake of things like Downton Abbey and all that where, you know, some of the servants are like heroes and, and you know, you got that and so, oh, okay, well, I'm like Jeeves, you know. I, you know, I can, be the, I can be the butler. I can be, oh, okay, I'm a servant, but I'll be the head servant. Yeah, that's what I am. But, you know, the whole concept of being a servant or a slave is offensive. I mean, what do we say? Rule Britannia, Britannia rule the wave. Britons never, never, never shall be slaves. Right? And yet, we as Christians we are servants. We are servants. Now the, the great English poem, John Milton's poem, Paradise Lost, if you've never read that, I encourage you to read it. Uh, it the, the ancient language can take some time to get through, but it's really worthwhile reading. And in the, in the mouth of Satan, in the mouth of Mammon, uh, Satan is the, obviously the chief demon, and Mammon is one of the, the under-demons. I mean, they express a lot of how people feel about servanthood today. Uh, Satan says, uh, in, I think it's in the first book there, he says, here in hell, he's talking about, here we may reign secure, and in my choice to reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. A lot of people today would say the same thing. Mammon, a book later in Paradise Lost, uh, it's a, they're having a council of all the big demons, 
and they get to, to talk about whether or not they want to go to war against God or you know, just kind of recline back in le- leisurely in hell. And uh, Mammon, he gets up and does his speech and says, let us not then pursue by force impossible, by leave obtained unaccess- unacceptable, though in heaven our state of splendid vassalage. In other words, let's don't try to get back to heaven because we're going to be servants there, even though heaven is really great and it's a splendid place to be. But rather, let us seek our own good from ourselves and from our own live to ourselves. Though in this vast recess, he's talking about hell here, free and to none accountable, preferring hard liberty before the easy yoke of servile pomp. Now it's really interesting that if you look at a lot of the commentators throughout the years, you know, people like William Blake, they did a lot of commentary on Paradise Lost and people who've really liked it, time after time you'll hear them say that they prefer the character of Satan and his demons to the character of God in the poem. It's so much, it's how much we we hate the idea of being a servant. We don't want to do it. And even today, we kind of couch it up into, you know, things like servant leadership, which, by the way, I believe in, if you've read the book Freed to Lead that I wrote. I talk a lot about it. But somehow, if we say servant leader, it sounds a whole lot better. You know, so it's just like, I'm the boss, and I'm going to serve you. Uh... But actually, when you understand the biblical concept of servant, you're not the boss. You're accountable to your master. As Christians, we're not the boss. We're never the boss. We're always accountable to our master, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Christians are servants who are called to serve in obedience to Jesus and for the benefit of other people. We don't serve to benefit ourselves. We serve to benefit Jesus. We serve at the command of Jesus. We serve at the command of Jesus for the good of other people, not for the good of ourselves. Now we understand, and it's a really great thing that we understand. We understand that as Christians, we are friends of Jesus. Jesus said in John, he said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. But he didn't say, no longer are you servants, but now you're friends and equal to me. He's essentially saying, yeah, you guys are servants, but I'm going to call you my friends. And that's really great. And we are adopted sons of the Father. We are sons of God. And that's men and women together. We are sons of God as God has created us. We're sons of God, but we still are sons who serve. And if we fail to serve, we violate our sonship. So we need to understand this, and we need to embrace it, because if we are going to have an influence in the world in the coming years that are going to be filled with difficulty, 
and tumult and turmoil, if we're going to have an influence and present some stability in our world, we must recapture the idea and embrace the idea and learn the idea that we as Christians are servants. How do we do that? Well, first we need to understand that servanthood is our high calling. Servanthood is our high calling. Did you catch what uh, the prophet Isaiah said? Is it too small a thing for you to be called my servant? This is God speaking, and God speaking to his people. Is it too little a thing that you should be called my servant? That you should bear my glory? We need to understand that serving God as Jesus' friends and serving God as the adopted sons of our Father is the highest honor that God gives us. There is no, I mean, the, the idea uh, that we so often get in our world that people who are lower should honor those who are, are higher, that is so anti-biblical. Do you know, I, I appreciate it when people honor me as the minister of the church, as the leader of the church. I, I welcome that. I'm not, you know, I don't say dishonor me and spit on me every chance you get. But I don't seek your honor. Because God has given me a greater honor than any human being could ever give me. And the same is true for each one of you. Doesn't matter if you're in a family. Doesn't matter if you're single. Doesn't matter your, your, your marital state or your life state. Doesn't matter your gender. As a servant of God, God has given you a tremendous honor. He's bestowed this honor on you. The world may not see it, but God sees it. And you better believe, you got to believe that it's there because servanthood is our higher, highest calling. And it's a high calling because serving God as Jesus' friends and the Father's Son is what God uses to bless the world. That's his desire. Listen to what Isaiah said. God spoke through Isaiah. He said, the purpose of that servanthood, being God's servant, is to raise up the people of God. That's one purpose. We're to raise up, in, in our language today, raise up the church of Jesus Christ, the people who are following the Lord. It's also to bring back the preserved of God's people, those who maybe have wandered, those who have walked away, to bring them back, and also then to like the way to God's salvation for all peoples. We don't bring God's salvation to all peoples. That's what the Spirit of God does. That's what God does. But we like the way through our lives in the things that we do in our serving God. We like the way so that all people in the world can experience the salvation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for centuries... The great heroes of the faith have done just that. They've gone into places where they weren't welcome. They've gone into places where often they died, but they've gone into places trying to bring education and health care and also the good news of Jesus, and among many other things. We see that. That's our high calling, to be the servant of God 
That is God giving us the highest honor he can give us. But this servanthood requires sacrifice. That's why it's so unpopular. Servanthood requires a sacrifice from us. And actually, it's not even a real sacrifice. Uh, servanthood requires our complete surrender. Because you can't serve a master that you don't obey, that you don't follow. Serving God requires that we fulfill our ongoing duties. You know, each one of us have things that God has given us to do where we serve God and these things don't stop. If I go on holiday to Scotland, you know what? I go as God's servant. And God has the right at any moment in time to lay claim on my time, my activities, my money, anything that I'm doing to redirect it for his purposes. That's whether I'm on a cruise ship or whether I'm in Cornwall or whether I'm in Spain, uh, wherever I might be on holiday, I'm still going as the Lord's servant. Serving God requires submission to Jesus, which, you know, we seem to find okay, although, you know, a lot of times we say, Jesus, I'm submitted to you, but please don't make me do anything I don't really want to do. You know, I'm submitted to you, but there are certain things, you know, I'd rather you put somebody else in. Anything that would make you uncomfortable, uh, give that to Rod, please. You know, you know that's okay. Uh, but you know what gets really offensive? Is that it also requires submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. We not only submit to God as servants, we submit to one another as servants out of reverence for Jesus Christ. A lot of times we don't like to do that, especially when somebody that maybe God has put in leadership as a servant uh, asks us to do something we don't really like. We complain and we want to wriggle out of it and we don't want to follow it. But the Bible requires our submission. And if you're a servant, that's expected of us. And serving God requires that we realize that even at our best, we are, in the words of Jesus, unworthy servants. There's none of us that do it right. There's none of us that get it perfect. If we follow the Lord and serve God to the absolute best of our ability, 24-7, uh, 365 days a year, every moment of our lives, we would still not measure up. We could still fail. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us. That's why we've been made Jesus' friends and God's adopted sons. We've been saved. Now we're unworthy servants, but we're servants who are definitely loved by our Lord. And he doesn't react to us by beating us. He reacts to us, I think, by loving us and sometimes disciplining us uh, and sometimes just looking at us kind of with the same kind of look that a father gives a little child when the little child does something tremendously foolish and yet incredibly hilarious. And that's kind of the way it is. So we need to understand that servanthood is our highest calling, 
that servanthood, that servanthood requires sacrifice, and that servanthood is a lived reality. As I said, it is something you have to live out every single day of every single week, of every single month, of every single year of your life in Christ Jesus. It's a lived reality. Now the good news here, let me, let me remind you, the good news here is that we have everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. We have everything. Jesus has made the way for this. He's redeemed us. He's cleansed us of our sins. He's given us victory over the power of sin, death, and hell in our lives. And not only that, God has placed his Holy Spirit uh, inside us to conform us to the image of Christ and puts his Holy Spirit upon us to equip us, empower us to do the works of Jesus Christ, to serve God. So that's the good news here. God does it. God works in us. It's God's effort, it's God's power at work in us that enables us to uh, let our servanthood be a lived reality, but we still have to live it out. We still have to make choices. We still have to follow the Lord. We still have to live it out. And how do we do that? Well, one way is that we need to orient our lives toward God's will. Orient your whole life toward God's, towards God's will. What do you do with your money? That has to be done in, in light of the will of God. Uh, you know, if somebody asks me for money, I don't just say, oh, I'll give you money. I ask the Lord. What do you do with your money? What do you do with your time? What do you do with your relationships? What do you do with your work? Everything in our lives needs to be oriented toward the will of God because we're God's servants. This also means that we need to do what God sets before us to do. I know a lot of times I talk to people who get really, uh, Christians, who get really uptight and concerned and it's like, oh, I don't know, how am I supposed to serve God? What am I supposed to do with my life? How, how, am I, how am I supposed to be Jesus' servant? And I say, it's not that difficult. Just do what God puts in front of you to do. If you say, God, you know, I really want to help people. I really want to bless people. I want my life to do something like that. Then look around you, because I almost guarantee you that there will be somebody almost in front of you who needs your help. Start with them. Start with them. One of the things I love about this church, and I love about the people here at City Temple, you guys do this. You guys do. I've seen this time after time, where people just start helping one another. I don't tell them to. I don't ask them to. They just start doing it. And then when they start doing it, I just say, okay, well, I bless that. You know, I feel a lot of times like Gandhi you know, who said one time, he said, there go my people, I must catch them because I'm their leader. You know, yeah, but that's the way it's supposed to be. And I love you guys for doing this because that's what we do. We need to do what the Lord sets before us to do. Not always think about where do I need to go, what else do I need to do, 
and God will make a way for the other things. And many times, just doing the next thing that God's put before us will lead us in the direction we need to go and give us a life direction, a life calling. To be a servant who lived reality, we also must maintain faithfulness in our service. It's hard. I know, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for a lot of years now. Uh, and uh, I'm always tempted to act like an old guy, especially with this laryngitis. You know, say, you young whippersnappers, I've been walking with the Lord before most of you were a gleam in your pappy's eye. That's an American phrase. But uh, uh, it's hard. I know it. And it's not only hard, you know, to walk with the Lord and seek to be faithful over 40 years, 46 years. You know what? Sometimes I find it very difficult to walk with the Lord and be faithful over 46 minutes. How do you do that? Well, faithfulness is measured one step at a time and one moment at a time. And if you find yourself wandering off the path to faithfulness, then be faithful and wander back onto it. It really is simple as that because the Holy Spirit will give you a nudge along the way. But to make it a lived reality, we have to maintain faithfulness, maintain faithfulness and we must serve together with others. Servanthood is not an individual activity. We only serve in the context of the community of God's people. We only serve in the context of the church. And even when we're not gathered with the church, we serve as part of the church. When I travel and I do preaching or teaching in other places around the world, I always point out to them that I'm here as part of City Temple. You know, I don't go around as, you know, my own independent ministry. Uh, and uh, because I serve the Lord as part of this community. Even if I'm not in this community when I'm serving the Lord. And that's true for all of us. For servanthood to be a lived reality, we can only do it in the context of community. So servanthood is our highest calling, a calling that requires our sacrifice, which is lived out every single day of our lives. We are servants. Yes, we are sons. Yes, we are friends of Jesus. Yes, we are Jesus' brothers and sisters but we are servants and we have been given a tremendous honor from the Lord for being a servant. And that's what really counts. And that's what really is going to make a difference if we regain the idea, because I think a lot of it's been lost, frankly, in the body of Christ. A lot of it has been lost in recent decades, the concept of servanthood. A lot of it's been lost. 
and we must regain it. Because when we become a community that embraces servanthood to the glory of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit from the honor we've received and to give honor back to God our Father, we become a community of people that change the world. Bit by bit, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, whether we're at home, raising kids, at work, in the schools, uh, at the universities, wherever we are, as a community of servants, we're sons of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. We make a difference. You make a difference. And if you want to see how important this is, you just have to look at one of the parables of Jesus. There in Matthew 25, he tells a powerful parable, right? About a master that gives people some talents and says, hey, go, you know, do business. What that meant is go serve me, carry out my will, engage in the community, engage in the world while I'm away. And then the master comes back after being away for a long time. And you notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't call his people together and said, hi, friends, great to see you today. Or hi, sons of God. Oh, you guys are just brilliant. What does he do? He calls them and asks them to give account for how they served how they did good, how did they serve. And the master said, as they come up, he said, well done, good and faithful servant, bond slave. You have been faithful over a little. I will now set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You catch that. The reward, the praise comes through how we have exercised our lives as servants, our servanthood. I'd hate to be in that line of the servants of the Lord Jesus, you know, on that day, and he's coming down the line, and he's going one by one. And I hear him come down the line, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Hi, Rod. Well done, good and faithful servant. None of us want to be there. But you know your reward, the same. The praise is well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. That's our promise. That's our anointing. That's our honor from the Lord in this day. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you that you have called us to be your servants. Thank you that you have set your seal upon us. You've given us your Holy Spirit 
you've called us your sons. Jesus, you've called us your friends. We have the Spirit of Christ in us to conform us to the image of Jesus. We receive the Spirit of Christ upon us to continue the works of Jesus, all to serve your purposes, O God, in this world, to see your glory go forth in this world, to see a light shine out in this world that will draw people to Jesus Christ, to experience the salvation of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory and honor of our marvelous Heavenly Father who is faithful over all. Thank you for that calling. Thank you for that high honor that you've given each one of us. Father, I pray now from this place you would show us what's in front of us. Show us how to take the next step in being a servant. Show us how to honor you as you have honored us in connection with one another in the body of Christ. All for the glory, honor, and praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.